Welcome to the Mom Say Fit Podcast, Birth Story Friday. In this episode, Dilshoda is going to be sharing her birth story, but more importantly, her postpartum story where she developed postpartum preeclampsia. Preeclampsia can be a life-threatening condition that you can develop during pregnancy, during your labor, and in the postpartum period. Most of us may be more familiar with developing preeclampsia during pregnancy, but it can happen in the postpartum as well, and so it's important to be aware of the signs and symptoms and seek care if needed. Preeclampsia is one of the leading causes of maternal mortality during and after pregnancy. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Safe Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Preeclampsia, whether it develops in the, during pregnancy or postpartum, is one of the leading causes of maternal death. And this is really important to be able to learn the signs and symptoms of what you're looking for so that you can seek care in a timely manner. And this can be life-saving by seeking care. So the things that you're going to be looking for is a headache. Dushota will share that she had a headache in her postpartum period, and that's what encouraged her to seek care. With a preeclampsia headache, it is different than any other headache that you're going to experience in that postpartum period because it is very common to have a headache in postpartum just from lack of sleep due to maybe your epidural placement or even other things like blood loss could cause a headache. But a preeclampsia headache is one that when you take Tylenol or any sort of medication, it does not really go away. And it can be so severe that it can wake you up in the middle of your sleep or like can affect your ability to function because it is so painful. Other signs and symptoms that we can look out for are vision changes. So this can be spots in your vision or like darkness on the sides. It feels like the walls are caving in. And then also blurred vision, especially like if you've never had blurry vision. If you wear glasses and your vision is blurry when you take your glasses off, that is not a sign or symptom. Other signs and symptoms are pain in your right upper abdomen. So this is like where your liver is placed. So if you start to have organ involvement with preeclampsia, you might have that right upper quadrant abdomen pain or even epigastric pain, which your epigastric area is the like middle of your chest, kind of where the rib cage and the sternum kind of meet. It's similar to heartburn pain. And this could all, again, be related to that preeclampsia starting to affect your body as a whole and like the functions of your organs. So just to recap the signs and symptoms that we should be aware of, it is one, an elevated blood pressure. If you don't have a blood cuff, you know, handy to take it, you can always just go into the hospital and they'll take your blood pressure there. An elevated blood pressure would be considered over 140 over 90. Anything above 140 over 90 is considered an elevated blood pressure. A severe ranging blood pressure, so a very concerning blood pressure that you need to seek a care immediately, is anything above 160 over 110. Other symptoms are headaches, and especially with this headache, again, it does not go away when you take pain medication for it. Right upper quadrant pain, epigastric pain, and then vision changes. So that blurry vision, spots in your vision, or feel like the walls are caving in in your vision. 
These are reasons that you need to seek care as soon as possible by either going to the emergency room or calling your provider and going to that office immediately. Some hospitals will just send you straight to the labor and delivery ward and plan that you're probably going to be in the hospital for at least two days, sometimes more for them to be able to treat this blood pressure issue and then also get you on some medication so that you're able to get home to your baby. If preeclampsia is not treated, this can develop into eclampsia, which is a full-blown seizure, or if the blood pressure is so elevated, this can cause a stroke, and these both can lead to maternal death. So seeking care if you have these symptoms can be life-saving. Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit Podcast Birth Story Fridays. On this episode, we have Dilshoda here to share her birth story and postpartum journey with postpartum preeclampsia. Thank you for coming on the episode. Thanks for having me, ladies. Happy to be here. So just to start, can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy and like your birth preparation going into labor? Sure. So my pregnancy was fairly straightforward. The only complication slash higher risk thing that I had was advanced maternal age because I was 36, but those numbers are probably a little outdated. But otherwise... I was staying active during my pregnancy. I was a college athlete, and then I've been doing CrossFit for quite some time. Checked with my doctor. They said if you were doing physical activity and lifting before your pregnancy, you could continue doing that. So I pretty much stayed doing CrossFit till month nine when it got harder. So then I modified the exercises but couldn't necessarily lift as much anymore. Otherwise, I had no high blood pressure, no gestational diabetes. It was just a pregnancy that was going along smoothly. I had some sleep-related issues that you know I was dealing with, but I think that's fairly common. And my doctor recommended that I take my magnesium glycinate supplements, which did magic on me, and I was able to sleep through the night, and it was going really well. So... In terms of the preparation for birth, you know, watched a lot of YouTube videos, watched some of your content on Instagram to see what positions are helpful while laboring. My baby was OP, which means sunny side up, which means he was facing my belly. And so what I read was during labor, it would it was going so I would do a lot of inversions before before labor to try to get him to turn, and he would turn because I could see that during some of my antenatal ultrasound appointments. But then the following time he'd turn back. So the midwives and doctors said not to worry about it because during labor, especially if I'm able to stand, able to do various movements, he can turn. So that was my focus in terms of prep, trying to help him. I wanted to stay as unmedicated as I could, but I also was my first pregnancy, so I had no idea how painful or not painful it was going to be. So I gave myself permission that if I needed medication, there's no shame in that game and I'll just go for it, but as much as I can, especially given that I had to stay as mobile as I could to help my baby turn. I wanted to stay away from epidural as as long as I could. So that was my goal going in. My baby was late or came post due date. So he came 
at 41 weeks and one day. So my doctor recommended scheduling an induction at 41 weeks and zero days. So I went into the hospital kind of bummed out, which I shouldn't have had preconceived notions about inductions, but you know, I'd read that they can be more painful and labor can be longer. So I was really hoping that he would come before then. And then uh, just at 41 weeks, zero days, I had an 830 appointment. So I went and showed up to, I'm from San Francisco. So I went to UCSF. I showed up and as soon as I checked in, my water broke and my contractions started which is great. I guess my baby was procrastinating. and Great was, timing. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know. He was like, okay, mom, I'll do you a solid if you don't want an induction. <laughs> so so we t- we're already here. Might as well. That's right. That's right. So that happened and I started contractions and I've asked kind of at that time, my doctor and midwives, if it would be okay for me to go labor at home because I live, you know, I live two blocks away from the hospital. So it was fairly easy to go back. They were kind enough to let me do that. So I went back home and I tried to take as many walks as I could. I went to the park nearby just because I wanted to have my baby turned towards my back instead of my pelvis. I did a lot of walks. I tried to do inversions, but it was a little bit harder while you're in labor. So I was just doing exercises on my labor ball, medicine ball, went back to the hospital at 8.30 p.m. that night. So if my contractions started around 10 a.m., I didn't deliver till noon next day. So it was pretty long labor, you know, went back to the hospital around 8.30, like I said, and just labored without epidural as long as I could. And around 2.30 a.m. when I've been already at it for like 16 hours, I was like, all right, (laughs) I throw in my towel. I just need some epidural so I can sleep. I was really hesitating with with that decision initially because I thought, okay, you know, I'm already seven centimeters dilated. Maybe it's like really close and it's just another hour of this. And I'm glad I went for the epidural because it was another, you know, if I didn't push till 10. So it was another eight hours of that. And I was, (laughs) I was like not having slept, was not feeling great. So then I ended up getting the epidural, which took another hour to get me because apparently I have scoliosis that I didn't know about. So they had a hard time finding how to put in the needle. So I'm sitting there. Oh, no. I start crying and and my doctor's like, oh, are you feeling pain? Is something wrong? I'm like, no, I'm just so tired. <laughs> and so and so they're like, okay, we're, we're trying to get it. So an hour and a half later, they were able to, to get me the epidural that I needed. And um, I couldn't feel the pain. It was obviously like uncomfortable because I had to, you know, you can't move around once you have the epidural. You kind of have to lay there which, you know, I, I liked moving around. It helped me with some of the pain management, but it was great because I was able to get some sleep because he was a big baby. Turns out he was nine pounds and two ounces. I had to push for two hours to get him out, which they said actually wasn't too long for a baby that size. So yeah, and then I pushed for two hours and um, he came out and oh, he was great. He was perfect. So that's that's my birth story. And he was actually, he managed to turn. So he was 
the right side. He wasn't sunny side up when he came out, which was great, really helpful to me because trying to push out an OP baby who was of that size would probably be really, really painful. So your birth story seems pretty, you know, cut and dry, but tell us about your postpartum experience because that was a little bit different. Yeah, I had a vaginal delivery, so I was able to check out, you know, two days later, like with everything was normal. And um, then I was just getting used to having my baby at home. So regular stuff, changing diapers, trying to figure out sleep, which you don't get too much of when they're that little and have to be up every two hours. And then I would say three days after I got checked out of the hospital, I woke up. So it was, you know, Sunday morning around 4 a.m. And the baby was asleep. I remember I was trying to get some sleep and I woke up with from splitting headache, which, you know, I've never woken up from a headache. I don't suffer from headaches at all. I've never had migraines. So I was like, oh, it's it's a little weird. I wonder why that might be. And I didn't think too much of it. I remember the doctors mentioning that I might have a headache after and it's a common symptom of like post epidural for some people. I think they were saying 10% of women get headaches post epidural, but they resolve themselves within a couple of weeks. So I was thinking, okay, maybe it's maybe it's post epidural headache, um, which they said just take Tylenol or Motrin or some of the pain medications that they'd given me. So I took it and it helped a little bit, but not too much. And so I called my sister, who is a nurse anesthetist, and she does epidurals. So I was like, hey, I, you know, I've been having this headache throughout the day. It's probably nothing. I had a little bit of it yesterday too, but it wasn't a splitting headache and it wasn't waking me up from my sleep. Now it's, it's kind of gotten more intense. And so she was asking me, she was like, oh, do you have any light sensitivity? Because epidural headaches tend to have some light sensitivity associated with them. And I was like, I don't think I do. But she was like, oh, don't worry. If so, they're very common. They'll resolve themselves. Just keep taking your, you know, pain medication. And so I kept doing that. And I remember it helped a little bit. But later in the evening, I could feel the headache get more intense again. And I asked my husband, I was like, listen, I think I remember reading in something in the after visit summary that the hospital gives you that one of the, you know, you have to look out for hemorrhage and you have to look out for headaches. But they also warned us they could be just epidural headaches, which are absolutely benign. And I was like, why don't I you know, in the after visit summary, since they mentioned headaches, I was like, why don't I measure my blood pressure just because I have a blood pressure machine at home. And at that point, I didn't even know that it was preeclampsia related or it would it could be preeclampsia. I just, you know, figured, you know, sometimes headaches could come with blood pressure. And I measured my blood pressure in the evening and it was like 175 over one, 110 or something, which is really, really high. And I'd never had bl- blood pressure issues ever. You know, I go to the doctor and it's always like 115 or 120 over 70 or something like that. And so 
the hospital has the triage number that you're supposed to call if you're hemorrhaging or something is going on to check. And I didn't even know that 175 was a a high read. (laughs) I just remember telling my mom, (laughs) my mom was like, you know, that's, that's really high. And, And I was like, oh, okay. So I called the triage number that they gave me. And I was like, hey, I have a headache that won't go away. And my blood pressure is high. And here's the reading. And then they told me, okay, you have to show up to the hospital, like ASAP. And I was a little hesitant because I was like, are you sure? Maybe we should just monitor at home just because I have a little baby at home and I don't really want to go back to the hospital. I just got out of there. And they're like, yeah, it could be life-threatening condition, but don't worry. We'll just do a couple of tests and most likely we'll just send you back home. But we just need to like rule some things out. I was like, okay, that doesn't sound that bad. So I just went. Luckily, I live like a few blocks away from my hospital. I show up to the hospital and they do a couple of tests, which is blood pressure, which remained really high. They were measuring it every 10 minutes and it was really high. They asked me if I had any like spots in my vision or anything was off vision related, which later I learned with postpartum preeclampsia. If you're getting close to having a seizure or you have swelling edema in your brain, that's what, you know, that pressure can can cause that, which I didn't have. Luckily, I didn't have any vision-related issues. They asked me about the headache and how, you know, the pain levels. So the liver enzymes were high as well, and they were concerning. I asked them if it was related to bleeding that I had during my delivery, because I had hemorrhaged some, I forgot to mention, so that during delivery, I hemorrhaged about a liter of blood, but it was taken care of. So it was fine. I was discharged, but I was like, oh, my hemoglobin levels are low. So maybe something with liver enzymes could also maybe be related to bleeding. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I was just spewing stuff out to see if I could go back home. (laughs) They said, no, this is textbook case of postpartum preeclampsia. Unfortunately, you have to stay hopefully for only 24 hours, but it could be longer, which obviously is, is not what you want to hear if you're, you know, a mom with like a three day old baby at home that you're trying to nurse and trying to take care of. But they said it was really important because I can have a seizure, I can have a stroke and die. I'd ask them because I've heard about preeclampsia during pregnancy. And I heard that cure for preeclampsia is delivery. A lot of the times that's what doctors say. So it was really surprising to me that someone with no preeclampsia during pregnancy could suddenly develop postpartum preeclampsia. I hadn't heard about it. And someone had meant the doctor who was talking to me had mentioned that a third of the cases happened during pregnancy, a third happened during delivery, and a third happens after pregnancy. And I thought that that's one of the reasons why I'm talking to you guys, because I had never known that information. A lot of the times after pregnancy, moms are busy trying to figure out how to take care of their baby. They're not sleeping much. And also, 
the symptoms are pretty benign, like headache, you could get it from epidural. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have preeclampsia. So it's easy to ignore those symptoms or assume that they're related to something else. Maybe they're related to the blood that you lost during the delivery. Maybe it was epidural. Maybe it was, you know, just you not sleeping and you're 100% focused on your baby. You're not as focused on you. So it's really, I guess, important to listen to those symptoms because they could be life-threatening. And the hospital had mentioned that at any point in time, they have at least one patient with postpartum preeclampsia. So it's fairly common. It's not a super, I mean, it's rare, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, but they see it pretty frequently. And so they gave me 24 hours of magnesium IV, which is supposed to cut the seizure risk by half. And then they try to test out different doses of blood pressure medication to see if it would come down and then check in on my headache. The next steps were if the headaches didn't go away or I had vision-related issues, they were going to send me for an MRI just to see if my brain was swelling, which luckily I didn't have to do and it wasn't swelling. But slightly frustrating thing is They don't just give you the blood pressure medication and let you go, even after you're done with your 24 hours of magnesium, which, you know, is a drip that you have to be attached to. They actually have to make sure that your blood pressure is normal for roughly 24 hours after changing every dose. And so they've changed my dose a couple of times. So all in all, I had to stay in the hospital for three days until it's stabilized Luckily, my baby was able to come, not for the nights, but at least during the day, and I was able to take care of him. But And then three days later, they gave me the meds, and I've been just taking them at home and measuring my blood pressure at home, and it's doing well. They said that most of the preeclampsia, postpartum preeclampsia symptoms go away within four to six weeks after delivery, but they also had mentioned to mention it to my primary care physician because women who do get it might be at risk of having high blood pressure later in life and they have 20 to 30 percent risk of developing preeclampsia with their next pregnancy. So yeah, so postpartum all in all wasn't as smooth as the pregnancy journey, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, the good thing is we caught it early and we were able to deal with it early. But if you don't catch it early, and you just keep ignoring it, you can die, you can have a stroke, you can have a seizure. So I figured it'd be important to share this so moms know what to look out for and not to not to ignore some of these symptoms that are yeah. generally pretty benign. Like you said, headache. Like ever I feel like almost everybody has a headache in the postpartum. And you can easily be like, oh, well, it's I haven't been sleeping. Or like I lost a lot of blood in a very common symptom from Blood loss is having a headache because, like, the oxygen, like, is not able to transport in your body as easily. Lack of sleep. Like, if you had an epidural and you get that spinal headache because of the way that the epidural is placed, you could get a headache. There's just literally so many reasons. But it's so easy to just go to the hospital and get checked out and they'd be like, yeah, you just are not sleeping. 
so try to sleep or like yeah it's just an epidural headache or yeah it's just like you lost like two liters of blood so that's why you're having this headache but it's easy to just check a blood pressure to be like yeah everything is fine you can go home versus just staying home and then you have like a stroke or a seizure at home and like 911 is great and it can potentially like you know be there in time to like save your life but sometimes it can't yeah so knowing the signs and symptoms and that it even is a possibility is a really good thing so thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story yeah no problem yeah to me it was also you know I was asking the doctor I was like hey are there any comorbidities like what causes it and People don't really know what causes it um, at all and why it comes. Because no, I, you know, as someone who's exercised religiously during my pregnancy and ate well and is, you know, really into fitness and never had blood pressure related issues, I was why why should it happen to me? I never had, you know, preeclampsia in general. Yeah, and they'd mentioned that you know, it doesn't matter if you, you know, exercise a lot or if you eat right or if they just don't really know. Sometimes it appears out of nowhere. It's hard to tell who it will strike. And so I was just surprised that I guess we don't know yeah. more about what causes it or how to address it or how to minimize the risk. The only thing they told me was, for the next pregnancy, because I had this condition, they will likely have me take baby aspirin throughout my pregnancy just because sometimes it helps. But otherwise, yeah, yeah, they don't really know why it happens. They don't know why it happens to the people it happens. I guess labor in general and pregnancy in general, there are enough changes in your body that, you know, these things can occur. Yeah. Yeah. And your exercising throughout your pregnancy may have delayed the onset of it as well. Like if you didn't exercise, potentially you would have developed it during pregnancy. But exercising, especially in like the first trimester, can be really beneficial for placenta development, which may be related to preeclampsia. So the reason you may not have had it during pregnancy could have been because you were exercising too. Yeah. So I would definitely sustain that for future pregnancies as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I really yeah. wish we knew like what caused for sure like preeclampsia because it is like we get people sometimes that literally did work out their entire pregnancy and like eat really well. They're like, yeah, like I eat like a really good balanced diet and like their babies aren't like doing anything crazy and they will develop like severe preeclampsia just like overnight. Like either like the at the end of their pregnancy or postpartum and they're like, why, why me? And we joke that like preeclampsia, it's just like they literally just take a arrow and throw it on the wall and they're like, yep, that person's going to get it. Because <laughs> sometimes like there are risk factors, but even if you have all of the risk factors, like you could not develop it and you could have zero risk factors and still develop it like super severe. So it's a disease that we definitely need to know more about and they do a lot of research, but it's just kind of, it's kind of hard to figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. Exercise may have helped because I had a doctor's appointment a couple of days ago, last Friday, and I was, you know, checking how much, whether my dose, blood pressure dose, medication dose is okay, because they usually taper you off as time passes on, mm-hmm. as your body starts to feel normal again. And I was like, it seems really abrupt that it comes on on its own randomly. And and the doctor had mentioned that 
sometimes, to your point, it is happening in the background. It is developing in the background throughout pregnancy, but we don't know and we aren't able to catch it because they were measuring my blood pressure and it was totally normal. And so maybe, actually, you're right, maybe the fact that I didn't have a pregnancy preeclampsia was due to exercise helping me manage some of that. And then, obviously, I didn't get too much time for that in the last month. <laughs> I did, you know, prenatal yoga, rather, but, you know, couldn't do as as much as I did before. And so, yeah, it's really odd. But yeah, it could be that it was helping me and I wasn't developing it earlier because of that and then suddenly it hit me yeah it's hard to say like obviously like no one's no one's saying like if you did do this one thing you wouldn't have developed it but well we really appreciate you coming on the podcast to share your story because I think it is going to bring a lot of awareness to the postpartum preeclampsia that most folks are probably not aware of and I think it is like something that really does contribute towards maternal mortality after birth and so I think being aware of like not ignoring your symptoms and also being willing to go and seek care when it is kind of like, hey, this is kind of a big deal is also like equally as important because it is really hard to care for your baby if you do have to be hospitalized, but it's significantly harder to care for your baby if you do have one of the side effects of preeclampsia, like a seizure or stroke or death. So <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that you did seek care, that you, you weren't like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> um, and I'm really thankful for you to come on the podcast and share your story with all of our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for talking to me. Preeclampsia can develop during pregnancy, during labor, or in that postpartum period. And seeking care and knowing what the signs and symptoms are to seek that care can be life-saving. So just to recap, what are the signs and symptoms that you're looking for, not just in the postpartum, but also during pregnancy? Or an elevated blood pressure, so anything above 140 over 90 or above 160 over 110. A headache that does not go away with Tylenol or any sort of pain medication. Right upper quadrant pain in your belly epigastric pain that's a little bit different than heartburn it's just more pain not really that burning and then any changes in your vision so blurry vision spots in your vision or it feels like the walls are kind of caving in type vision those are reasons to definitely go seek care as soon as you possibly can call 911 go to the emergency room or going to your ob's office to be seen and treated for this high blood pressure can be life-saving if you enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you get notified whenever we release new episode. We release a new educational episode every Wednesday and a new birth story or postpartum story every Friday. If you want more support during your pregnancy, join our prenatal fitness programs and our childbirth education course. If you want more support after birth, you can join our postpartum fitness programs and our newly released postpartum preparation course that includes infant CPR, infant massage, newborn care, and Roxanne will be educating you on all the things that you can do to prepare for the postpartum period. A lot of our preparation tends to really focus on birth preparation and then preparing for our baby, so the nursery, your registry, and we sometimes forget about what we need to do to prepare ourselves for the postpartum as well. So you can check out all of our courses on our website at mamastayfit.com and you can use code STORY10 to get 10% off any of our courses and fitness programs.